0: Welcome to the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host, Brad. This podcast is all about the outdoors, fitness, and most importantly, living the best life you can, both physically and mentally. I love finding people who strive to be their best at anything they are taking on, such as running, weightlifting, cycling, hunting, you name it. I want to hear this story, and hopefully it gives us all a chance to take something away from it and apply it to ourselves. So sit back and enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host Brad and today we have Stuart Holmes on here with us. Stuart was a guest a few months ago and he dove into all the the gear you could think of when it comes to bow hunting as far as uh, the bow side of things and he went on his first elk hunt, killed an elk and uh, he's here to share that story with us. So how are you doing Stuart?
1: I'm doing great. I'm glad glad to be back and uh um, you know, kind of, kind of share the, my first experience in, in the oak woods.
0: Absolutely. And before I forget, uh, Stuart's podcast on here last time, we, we specifically talked about, um, bows, like finding your first bow, what to look for, but you have a website, kind of a blog thing that you do. Um, so just share that website real quick. So I don't forget.
1: Yeah, sure. So the, the website is, uh, archers insight, and that's the letter letter in And I've also recently uh, started putting some things on YouTube. It seems to be a little easier than uh, some folks don't don't want to read anymore. So they'd rather watch a video. So I've kind of started to transition a channel there, which is also archers in uh, site as well.
0: Okay, awesome, and that's all all archery related. Um, are you doing any? um, like hunting stuff as far as like actually going out, filming anything like white tails, or are you mainly just sticking to the gear reviews with it?
1: So right now it's just gear reviews, but, um, I am now set up, uh, I I bought some gear to try to film some hunts, white tail hunts here in Alabama. Um, and then of course, anything else that happens to come up. So there'll be some hunts in the future for sure.
0: Awesome, awesome. So yeah, check that out, everybody. He, and he did an awesome podcast. I'll link uh, to this one again uh, a few months ago in case you're uh, new to archery and want to kind of hear hear some of that info. Uh, so, anyways, we'll jump jump here to um, the meat and potatoes of it. You went on your your elk hunt here in northern Colorado and you had success. So take us take us through that.
1: Yeah. So um you know i did i did use a guide um we were you know essentially on uh, you know private land uh, but it was an over-the-counter tag for you know either sex um elk uh the name of the the outfitters i used was nine mile outfitters um uh we, the guides we had were uh, jake butler and kelly mower who um were just really phenomenal i mean again Coming with, you know, my Alabama uh, flatlander white-tailed deer knowledge, um, certainly had to, you know, help out the learning curve a little bit with uh, having, uh, having a couple of really, really awesome guides. But, um, but, yeah, so I think we were, I think it was unit 13 or 12, somewhere around that area. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, going out for the first time, there was a lot of unknowns and, you know, I think, you know, focus on the controllables is what I tried to focus on and, you know, just really hope the guys did what they, um you know, d- do what they do, I guess, right. so to speak. And Now, this was,
0: th- was this your first time in the elk woods, like, in general, like, taking a bow out where there's elk?
1: Yeah, yeah, for me, so... Um, you know, I, I kind of tagged along on something in the past, but didn't have a tag and, you know, didn't have a bow was just kind of, you know, trying to experience something. And, um, you know, but this was really my first time, you know, in the driver's seat, so to speak.
0: And, and the country itself, it looked like it was more open sage country, just from what I seen, but it was Mm -hmm. it a mix of everything Were you guys up, you know, how high elevation were you guys?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, it was a kind of a mix. Um, I think that the camp was at about 7,200 feet and it went up, um, I think 8,600 feet. Um, so, okay. you know, there were some, you know, a thousand foot climbs, things like that, um, that, you know, if you, if you weren't prepared for it, certainly, you know, wind
0: you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, now um, I guess my question is when you get there and you've got a guided hunt, you show up, I, or you, I guess you communicate with them beforehand, right? Like you basically say, I've never done this other than obviously you have basic knowledge of a lot of this, but you've never elk hunted and that's what you guys communicate. So when you show up, it's not like, Hey, what do you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they give you a kind of a list of things and, you know, several, you know, conversations on the phone and things like that. Just to kind of, uh, you know, see what the conditions are, uh, from what I understand, and even just the time that I was out there, I mean, the weather, I thought the weather changed in Alabama, you know, quickly. I mean, it was amazing, uh, you know, what all conditions you have to be prepared for. And even, you know, I didn't have some of the right gear. So there was, you know, <laughs> some, some takeaways that I'll do a little differently, um, you know, next time around. Um, but, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job of, of trying to prepare us for, um, you know, what we would encounter.
0: Well, okay. So now you ended up killing your bull the first day and you're there with a buddy. So we'll dive into that part after it, but I guess take us through that first day since you were, you know, thinking it was easy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So the first day, uh, so the night before, you know, the, our, our guide said, uh, you know, we're going to go out in the morning and, in the, their style of doing it and is um you know I think they were very conservative in terms of what kind of pressure they wanted to put on the 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 elk um you know you don't want to run them off onto other private property so it wasn't like there was a bunch of public land being pushed onto the private property it was all you know private so you had to be kind of careful what you did so in the mornings we would um you know we'd we'd you know climb somewhere we'd go down into a canyon or drainage and um, you know, do a little bit of calling and, um, you know, we'd set up a few sets and things like that. But the night before the guys like, all right, you know, flip a coin and whoever, you know, wins will be the A shooter and B shooter type thing in the morning when we go out. So I won the the, the coin toss, um, that day and we spotted a pretty good bull. It was actually this bull, um, that I ended up shooting, um, kind of, you know, on, a on the side of a ridge kind of making his way it's kind of later in the morning he'd been up feeding a bit making his way back to the aspens and it looked like he was going to bed and the thermals changed and that was another thing i kind of learned was you know thermals and you know how that you know affects the wind out there is was you know that's a different ball game than what we have here so the thermals kind of changed on us about that time the guy you know said hey you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna back out um and he had an idea on a couple different, like, you know, natural small little springs and uh, wallers and things like that, that they would get down in. And um, he said, for the afternoon, we'll set up and uh, you know, set you guys up on, on uh, where he thinks there's a couple of bulls coming in, probably this bull. So we uh, in the afternoon, since I was the A shooter and my buddy was the, the B shooter in the morning, he had the preference of the kind of better spot. Um, Okay. So I was actually in the B spot and, uh, I had two different bulls come down that afternoon to the watering hole and, you know, the whitetail woods I'm used to, especially where we are. I mean, they're just like ghosts. They just show up out of nowhere. You don't hear them. They they're just there. And, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) the first bull that came down was, I mean, bugle and his head off. And it sounded like, you know, a, uh, a dump truck coming down the the mountain. I mean, he was not quiet. He was coming down. Now was this,
0: was this the first bull you've ever heard bugle?
1: Uh, Well, I heard some that morning, but this is the first bull that bugled and actually came within bow range.
0: Right. But in your, in your lifetime, like in general, was that like the first real bugle you've heard? (laughs)
1: yeah it was okay, yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, I, I still hear bugles when I try to go to bed at night. So I don't know if that wears off time, but
0: <laughs> you know, I, I not, not to get off subject here, but um a friend of mine, she's female, and she did an overnight camping trip recently in Oregon, and it was in September. And she's real proud of herself like she's she's married with kids, and she decided she was gonna do a solo camping trip. And it was completely like not um, not not something she's ever done. So I don't know why she wanted to do this, but I thought it was really cool. Right. Like, mm-hmm. OK, she's just going to be independent, and do this. And my thought had always been like, how bad would it be for somebody like her to be out there? Because this was September and have bulls start bugling in the middle of the night because that sound <laughs> yeah. is unbelievable. And I thought, man, that could like ruin that for her. <laughs> like, like that could be like the scariest thing in the world. Right. Cause, cause for us, we know what to expect, but with somebody new that bugle is like, I mean, it's unbelievable like how loud and how close they sound when they're sometimes yes. not that close.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, so the, the first time I heard the, the bull kind of, you know, bugling off in the distance and I'm like, wow, he's really close. And I finally saw his like antler tips up above a Ridge. And he was, you know, several hundred yards at that point. It sounded like he was 40 yards or something. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so he comes down, you know, gets some water. And I, you know, they they call it buck fever or whatever here. The the bull fever definitely was kicking in, but I was, you know, my heart was thumping out of my chest. I mean, I (laughs) I had no idea how big really one is in person until he's, you know, he's there. So um, that bull came within about 40 yards or so. And, um, he stayed kind of quartering to me, um, both ways. So the shot, you know, I was, you know, I got a little anatomy lesson from one of the guides. And of course I did some homework myself and knew that that front shoulder area, something you definitely want to stay away from. Mm-hmm. so um but by, by the time he kind of turned broadside, broadside i couldn't really get a shot at him but um so he kind of you know trotted out and i you know sat there and go oh wow I, I, I missed my chance And this was a um pretty nice frame on him but you know it was, a, it was a five by four and um obviously the first bull i'd ever been within bow range of so right it was it was a unique r- really cool experience for sure
0: yeah it's um you know, I, I don't remember my first experience. I don't think with like an elk up close just cause I've lived in elk woods. So I've, I've, yeah. you know, even just random hiking, you, you jump on or you just see one, but I do remember the first time I had a bull bugle close to me and yeah, it was, um, and then seeing him, yeah, it was, it, it's a definite experience that people that don't elk hunt, um, don't really understand. And then if they, they do it, like, if it's something like, okay, I want it all kind of at some point in my life and they go do it and they get that experience. That's definitely what hooks them. Right. It's, yeah. it's that bugle and it makes you, like you said, you think about it uh, every night. you hear you hear bugles and it's like, yeah, <laughs> you, you just, you, you do. It's, it's a, it's a experience that will hook you. Um, it's just, it's something like you'll never experience.
1: For sure. For sure. And um yeah, so he uh so that was the the first one came down and kind of kind of left out on a on a trail from the, the the little spring. And then um I don't know, it was maybe hour and a half or so later. Um this time I didn't hear the bull slip in, but he almost acted like a white tail and slipped in kind of really quietly. And I saw him on the, the kind of a worn down two track uh coming in to the watering hole and he came in a little cautious. Um So I'm not sure if he sent something or smelled something or what, but, um, he came into the water nonetheless, same thing. He, he stood, you know, facing me essentially. And he was about 45 yards. And this time I decided that I would draw my bow back because the last, the last bull didn't really give me much time to pull back and get a shot when he was broadside. So I was, you know, dead set that I'm pulling this thing back and I'm going to hold it. Until he gave me a, a chance. And I he was definitely a, a better bull than the than the first one. So um yeah, I, I sat there at full draw for I don't know how long, but it seemed like eternity. Started right. to, you know, shake a little bit and decided, all right, I got I have to let down. So as soon as I let down, then he decided to to give me a present a decent shot. And he's quartering away a little bit, about 45 yards. And um, which, you know, was, was perfect for, per, for me. And I was able to, to, uh, get a good clean break and, um, you know, quick, quick, clean kill.
0: Nice. Now you said he came in, um, cautious and I assume that's because he was a bigger bull. Like he, most animals, you know, when they're, they're drinking, that's typically when they're eating or drinking, right. That's when they're, they're not able to completely watch everything. So he's smart. He was a bigger bull and he, he, he was smart yeah
1: yeah no he was uh and and the other thing is when they when they drink i mean i don't know how much they can get within a sip but it sounded like he's just drinking gallons and gallons (laughs) now (laughs) did they did
0: did did these bulls have cows with them
1: um so these two did not so these two were kind of cruising um and we saw so in the morning actually this bull was was uh behind some cows and when they, he bedded, he bedded down to the cows. So I think, you know, our guess was probably that morning he bred those cows. Um, right. and, uh, yeah, I don't know if he, I, I don't know exactly, you know, all the details of elk behavior yet. I'm still learning that, but whether he was cruising for different ones or whether they were still up in the Aspens and he came down for a sip of water, I'm not sure exactly.
0: All right. Now, did you, since it was a guided private, private land there, did you have to pack him out?
1: So we got lucky. So, um, you know, depending on, you know, obviously where the, where the elk, um, you know, goes down, um, we we would have been doing pack out. We got really lucky with this bull and he, he, uh, he went down, uh, within a few yards of a a really old two track up on the side of a ridge, uh, that we were able to get a ranger back into. So we got pretty, pretty lucky there.
0: Now, what, what did you think when you were, um, when you walked up to him, like the size and everything
1: blew my mind. I mean, again, you know, at 40 yards they are huge. And, right. you know, as you, as, as we're kind of making our way up to the Ridge and, you know, as we're, you know, following the blood trail, we're being careful. Uh, but the guide's a bit ahead of me and I'm, you know, I'm respecting him for sure and staying behind, not to, you know, mess up any evidence, so to speak. And, um, right. I hear him, I hear him say, I got him. And, uh, I just remember, you know, the feeling like, you know, I, I, I probably ran up the the rest of the mountain. That is a sprint speed. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I mean, my adrenaline just went through the roof and I could see his, his, uh, antlers sticking up, you know, in the trail and, and was just blown away, blown away. Um, you know, the sheer size of of everything and, you know, field dressing him and and all of that. I mean, it was, it was just uh, mind blowing that when you're used to seeing a whitetail heart, for example, and then you see an elk heart, it's, it's just, there's, there's nothing to describe the size difference.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, a a whitetail, a big whitetail, what's 200 pounds, you might get one that's like 225, I'm guessing.
1: Right. And down here, you know, I would say, 160 to 200 is, is, you know, a, bo- uh, a buck.
0: Right. Cause I mean, I, and I've seen, yeah, I'm sure we've all seen pictures and stuff of like white tails that have lived on a cornfield their entire life. Like, yeah, yeah. some of them get <laughs> massive and fat, right, right. but for the most part, yeah, 200 pounds is like a, a big deer regardless. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And elk is, I remember walking up to my first, the first one and just going, Holy crap. What did I do? Like how, yeah. you know, and you're trying to move it and, and I'm tiny. Like I weigh 145 pounds if I'm not running a lot. Right. And, and it's like, okay, this is this, I can see why packing something like this solo out of the mountains is like a multi-day thing. They oh, are sure. big. Oh, for
1: sure. I mean, so what, you know, my hunting partner at this time had kind of joined us to, to recover the the elk and, you know he and i both that was the first time we had ever been that close to one um and you know we're trying to you know position the elk in a certain way and actually the you know the guides that you know i don't know how many hundreds or thousands of times they've probably done this but you know using the side of the mountain and gravity to kind of position the elk how they want to be able to field dress it and 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 everything else made it mm-hmm. very simple but if 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 we didn't have a guide or someone experienced there, I mean, you know, we would have done it probably the hardest way possible. Right. Um, but there were some neat little tricks the guide had to flip him over and, you know, get him where he, where he wanted the, the elk. Um,
0: right. Yeah. It's definitely nice to have, if you don't have experience, at least have a second set of hands there. Um, they're yeah they're big so so you got that bull down i mean that's just awesome i I mean to me it doesn't matter like there's always a debate you know private public whatever it's an elk the elk was smart if you would have stood up he would have ran off If he would have smelled you he would have ran off like the elk's an elk uh so you guys are on this high and it's day one you killed your bull you've got four or five days left yep what happened for your buddy
1: yeah so you know, we're both kind of like we we talked that night and celebrated a little bit, and uh, we we both uh, were like, "Wow, this 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 is going to be pretty doable." And my, you know, I think even my buddy at that point was, "Okay, I'm going to look for a bull about your size." It might be a little choosy at this point. I've got you know four or five days left, and um, you know, we we hunt the next morning, and you know, hunted hard. Didn't really, you know, see a whole lot in the morning or, you know, we heard some bugles far off, but, you know, we couldn't, you know, really get any bulls to move, uh, from where they were the evening hunt, something similar. Um, he had a, a, you know, a a pretty good five by five come in, um, you know, chasing a cow really hard, but would never give him a shot. Um, but didn't really see anything else. And then the next couple of days, the rain came in and- Uh, you know, so the weather changed and we hunted, uh, really the next four days really hard. Um, you know, so the, the whole, you know, pattern that we had where, you know, the morning would be, uh, you know, we'd chase a bit and and do some spot stalk. And then the afternoons would be water at that point. it, It rained, uh, so much that water was kind of, you know, obsolete at that point started right. to puddle and pool uh so there was there was really not a huge reason for them to come in and it, it you know again i don't know elk behavior but it, it seemed like when it was windy and rainy um you know surely they were moving we knew they were moving um right. but they moved quietly uh and, and certainly seemed more skeptical of, of things so um yeah we hunted extremely hard and um you know it, it uh it solidified how lucky day one was. Um, right. It was just sheer luck. Uh, and even talking to the guides, they were like, yeah, that was, that was pretty lucky. <laughs> Don't expect right. that every time. <laughs>
0: well, right. I mean, it's, it's I, it, right. Yeah. It, there's so much of that in hunting. Uh, that's why I think it can be so many highs and lows because I, Uh, have i've killed an elk the very first day very first afternoon just like you did and then i've hunted for five six seven eight days and you know shot an elk and not recovered it Mm -hmm. and it's like the the highs and lows and the difference are just it's crazy
1: yeah no absolutely and you know the uh of course, I'm I'm already eager. All right, let's let, let's go back and let's you know I'm ready to go back. And uh, you know, my buddy, he definitely he's ready to go back, but he's he needs a, a minute to uh, forget. I guess how really hard it was.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So how many elk would you say you guys seen from after your, so the the final four days, usually they're like five day hunts or whatever they are when you're guided here. Um, So those final four days, how many elk did you guys, did you see on that property or encounter you think?
1: So it's hard to say how many we encountered because we had bulls still bugling and they would kind of stay in the Aspens, um, you know, back in these, you know, small little canyons and things like this. So we would, you know, we would hear in certain canyons, you know, three or four really, you know, in each kind of area, but getting them out or seeing what they were was, you know, near to impossible and and getting into where they were uh, was equally as possible because it was such thick country and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think. You know, we heard quite a few as far as what we saw. um, We, you know, we probably saw three or four or so um, that were just, you know, outside of bow range. Um, The very last day, the very last evening, uh, we try a couple different uh, sets and we actually got set up where we had a bull bugling. We saw him, he was probably... 350 400 yards on kind of side hilling Mm -hmm. and um so we decided we were gonna you know set up a set we put my buddy up ahead the guide and I kind of got back in the woods a bit and he did you know some call sequence and and um you know got some good response but we ended up being between that bull and he was you know definitely the herd bull he sounded like a dinosaur <laughs> and oh his cows right so okay you know here we are acting like we're another bull with maybe a cow or two and he 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 didn't really care um you know he didn't come down to defend them he didn't come down to kind of get in between us um he had his cows and and you know they weren't going anywhere so you know we right. had a it was pretty exciting um you know they got really close, but it was, again, very, very thick. Um, You know, probably could have shot a cow or two, but couldn't get to the bull bin.
0: Um, Well, you know, and now I've heard, and and again, I I definitely, you know, when you're talking like Corey Jacobson knowledge compared to mine, I know nothing, but I have heard that cows kind of know what bull they want to be bred by. mm -hmm. Uh, Typically, you know, they know a younger bull from a bigger, older bull. Yeah. So, Sometimes I think like you just described a big herd bull, he doesn't get overly worried sometimes because he can kind of know like, all right, like I can go whip that bull. I, yeah. I, you know, I'm not worried. I've got my cows here. I'll just take care of them. And then I'll go and find this bull tomorrow or something or the next day. Cause, cause he's, he's tired, right? He's, he's yeah. worn out. He's, he's not going to leave 20 cows to go get one or two more than exactly. likely. So yeah it's um i i i think anybody it's elk kind long enough i've definitely been in situations like that where uh, i've had a ball bugling and then you know he's 100 yards away and i i think that's that's the big one you hear a lot of people say oh he's a 100 yards away but he just wouldn't come in that extra 40 yards you know or whatever yeah. and, um so yeah that closing that distance uh is tough but I, I i like the conversation because you are on private land and it goes to show you that it's not it's you don't just seal the deal just because it's private land and people should sometimes, you know, not get so focused on private versus public because anything can happen with elk.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the, you know, probably the biggest difference between the the private and public is you're not, you're really dealing with the elk in their and they're doing their thing without too much human intervention. Right. So I think on right. public, you're having to think, not only like what an elk is doing, but probably what other hunters are doing. You're probably having to make a play off of their play. Um, so there, there's kind of two dynamics I would think, but it's, it's definitely not a given. Um, yeah, the, the last, you know, the last four and a half, five days or so was, was not a given for sure. I mean, we, we walked our butts off. We, you know we're drenched we were frozen we were sweaty hot and sunburned i mean everything in between it was um certainly not easy by any means
0: that's awesome yeah i mean congrats man that, that that's cool regardless um you know where it came from i think it's just awesome anytime somebody kills an elk especially their first elk uh so what did you do as far as training, cause you live in Alabama, I'm assuming you're close to sea level. You're coming out here to 8,000 feet. What was kind of your training regime for being ready for this hunt?
1: Yeah. So initially, um, you know, my, my kind of typical training schedule is, um, you know, I have a good mix of weights, uh, and then I do some cardio. Um, but you know, I got to talking with, um, a guy on Instagram, Kyle, uh, Herbers, who he does training and he'll do programming. And he's also, he's in Florida and he okay. also elk hunt. So actually he was in Montana while I was in Colorado. And, um, you know, he, he definitely understands sea level to, you know, elevation, what we right. battle. And, um, he did some programming for me for, uh, a couple months before this, so I, I went off my normal schedule and, you know, he incorporated a lot of, um, you know, really elk hunting specific, I would say hit type of workouts mixed with cardio. Right. Um, and I actually found it really now, um, pretty useful because I'm, I'm able to get a, a really broad range of, of training stresses in a very short amount of time. Right. So, um, I would find that, you know, the, the 50 minutes that I would do, usually those workouts would take me 50 minutes. Um, you know, I'd do that two days a week and then, then I would have a cardio session, which I would either run or or cycle and I would find the days that I'd run or cycle that actually I was, I felt like I was in better shape than just pounding pavement every day. Um, yeah,
0: it was interesting.
1: I mean, maybe it's just how my, my body responds, but um, you know, so we did a, you know, a ton of step ups. I'd train in my, my pack. I would train with my boots on. We would do um, certain workouts. You would, you would shoot under duress. So Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might be doing some sprints and then go shoot your bow, or you might be doing burpees and then shoot your bow. And we would, you know, gauge for group size. You'd back up. I think, you know, we got out to 50 yards on a certain set of, you know, you know, getting your heart rate up and shooting and, uh, shoot a group of a few arrows and, and see how you did. So I found that extremely helpful. I was, I was very prepared, um, or as much as I could be, you know, given at sea level.
0: Right. And I think a big one, uh, people forget when you're talking about cardiovascular, uh, performance, ultimately, uh, the stronger your cardio system, uh, the quicker your heart rate will come down. So, mm-hmm. what you just said with, um, you know, shooting under duress, uh, that's really good because as you get fitter, and it and it doesn't really matter as long as like hit workouts um, or full on cardio, they both tax your cardiovascular system uh, in in different ways, but but ultimately. It gets stronger and maybe yours isn't as strong as mine, but for you, your heart rate's still dropping down as you get stronger. So the, the slower you can get under control, the quicker you can get under control, right? And practice that, the better it's going to be elk cutting.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And, I, you know, we, you know, we'd go to Colorado or certain areas to, to ski and even just going to ski, you know, going from sea level to, you know, in those cases you're above 8,000, 10,000 feet. Um, I could tell, you know, I wear my Garmin almost everywhere I go and I could tell that, you know, my resting heart rate was definitely higher than what it normally is just because of the elevation. So I think this was, you know, for me, it was a good test to see what a focused training schedule would, would do. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, I definitely felt this time going up in the mountains and, you know, again, the highest we were was maybe, you know, mid 8,000 feet. Um, but, you know, again, I, I felt, um, like my body definitely, you know, dealt with it better, um, than it would have, if, if not.
0: Well, and, you know, my, my thought process on that, isn't it? Oh, like, yeah, I'm a big cardio guy. I love cardio. And, and my mindset is, okay, the more cardio I do, the better I'm going to be. But I think for anybody, if they're having fun doing a certain thing, ultimately, that's what matters, right? Like, you're enjoying it. You're still getting in better shape. You don't have to do what I do. You know, what I'm saying, like, I'm going to run 10, 12, 14 miles hard workouts. You don't have to do that. Like, if you're enjoying yourself, you're going to get into shape. And my way is probably not the best way. And there's not one size fits all. So um, yeah, if you enjoyed it, you felt good, then by all means, why, you know, why try something else or do something else? So yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And does that guy um, what's his Instagram name? I assume he does this for people in general.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. His name's Kyle. Actually, I don't, I can't remember his name. I'm about to look it up right now as we, yeah. It's just Kyle Herbers. So Kyle, and then his last name is H E R B E R S. Okay.
0: Yeah. I'll, um, I'll just, I'll, I'll link him in the description just so people know, uh, you know, maybe does he have a big following?
1: Um, I mean, not, not, not huge. Uh, I would okay. say he's probably somewhere around 600 followers or something like that. And okay. I think he ended up following me and asking me some Bo questions and, you, you know, me with archery tech. <laughs> right. So, uh, and then we got to talking later and hunting, you know, talking about hunting and everything else. And, um, you know, I'd asked him about, you know, fitness. He's an in incredible
0: shape. Um, right. So kind of asked what he did. So, so here's, here's kind of a final question. We will end this with is what is the number one thing you would recommend to somebody coming out here for the first time? Like, would it be, don't overlook your fitness. Don't overlook, I mean, it all comes into play, but like, what is one big tip or a couple big tips you recommend for somebody that's going to come out to 9,000 feet and try this for the first time?
1: Yeah. So I would say fitness is going to be number one, really. <laughs> um, and the reason I say the, you know, having some type of adequate fitness level is that there were others on, on the trip that did not, prepare like I prepared or prepare really, you know, at all, I I would say. And it slowed down the tempo of what the guides wanted to do. It slowed down the tempo of, you know, what maybe I wanted to do. And um, I think that if if you go out there knowing that you can reduce limitations, that's one thing you can guaranteed do to, you know, kind of release, uh, you know, limits is, is your fitness level. Um, you know, whether you're, you're going up and there's one more ridge to go over and you're, you're spent, that's something you could have, you, you could have probably prevented. So
0: right. fitness
1: to me is absolutely number one.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, you can, if you can't get yourself there, if you can't get to the elk, you can't kill the elk. Right. So that yeah. that's, that's kind of, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of things that need to come into play to kill an elk, but especially on, um, a public land hunt, uh, you know, cause you guys, were you guys able to hunt onto public? Obviously you could with your tag, but they may not be able to guide onto public land. So was it strictly private land for this hunt?
1: Yeah. And actually all, everything that surrounded us was, was private. So, you know, that was, again, something we had to be careful of is not to, to push the elk too much or pressure the elk too much because they would just go on other private land. And the private land around us was actually not hunted very hard at all. Okay. Um, so that was another, whether that's a challenge that some people might say, oh, that's pretty lucky. Um, but actually, that was a bit of a challenge because, you know, you, you, could, you can certainly start to blow out certain areas if you're not careful.
0: Absolutely. And uh, what I was getting ready to say is, you know, when you're especially on a public land hunt, uh, you know, when you have all those other hunters in every drainage, it seems like you could end up walking, you know, 10, 15 miles a day, Mm -hmm. not finding elk. And you get really tired when you don't see elk or hear elk. Uh, So not being in shape good enough to keep going, yeah, can really hinder you.
1: Yeah. And I think if there was maybe one other thing and it's, this is the mental side of it is, you know, again, even on private land, we had, you know, those days of rain, we had it, you know, it'd get really cold or really hot and, you know, weather's back and forth. You're tired of walking. You're, you're, you know, you're tired of the weather and, you know, as it gets towards the, you know, the end of the hunt, you know, I could see, you know, my buddy kind of losing, you know, motivation and, uh, hope (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. you know, mentally kind of, you know, maybe, you know, he had a, he had actually a pretty good attitude about it. Um, you know, I think he he was, he was headstrong, but I could see where a lot of people were like, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll just sleep in. I mean, it's raining, you know, who knows. Right. And I think that, you know, at least for me, I mean, there's a lot that went into this hunt. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. My wife has to make sacrifices. My kids have to make sacrifices. My job has to, you know, my, at work, they have mm-hmm. to make sacrifices. So, you know, you're there for a certain allot, allotment of days, whether it's private or public or whatever. And I right. think that it's really important that, you know, you're not going to kill a bull sleeping in. You're not going to kill a bull from the cabin. You're, um, you're not going to kill a bull feeling sorry for yourself, you know, sitting down and, you know, catching a breath. And I think that there is a mental aspect that, you know, you have to look at it as we get to do this, not, I have to do this. And, you know, to me, that's, you know, really important and is having your mindset right. And being, you know, thankful and gracious to have the opportunity to get to do something like that.
0: Absolutely. You know, my buddy Mac, who is probably, I mean, there's tons of great hunters out there. He's probably the best hunter I personally know. Uh, just kills stuff all the time. But he he always tells me, says, you know, set expectations for your hunt. Mm-hmm. Meaning for him, it's more, you know, he's got tons of times to go, no kids. Um, you know, his wife's big into hunting. So for him, it's, okay, I'm going to kill X size animal or I'm going home without one. And he doesn't care. But he'll tell people like, okay, if you've got four days to hunt, you've never been there you know, set an expectation of, okay, my goal is to hear bugles, get close to bugles, especially if you're a new hunter, whatever, but don't, don't set yourself up for failure necessarily. Like, you know, Mm. so, so yeah, if you want to kill an elk say, okay, I'm going to kill an elk. And if I don't, okay, yeah, I set that expectation and it didn't work. I got to live with that. Um, but you know, it can be a little bit less, it can be okay. I just want an encounter. You know, so like your buddy, obviously, obviously, like you said, it's a lot of money. You're, you're, you know, you've got a guide, you probably expect to kill something, but even then it can be like, okay, you know, what's my real expectations here. I've never done this before. Maybe it should be the experience. And I think that will help keep your head in the game. At least for me, it does. It's like, okay, it's not the end all if I don't kill something, but I had, I had a good experience and I met my expectations of the hunt.
1: Yeah, I think those are really, really good points for sure.
0: So, well, Stuart, this was a great conversation. Um, I'm super pumped that you killed an elk. I think that is awesome. And what's, what's, what's the plan for next year? Cause I'm sure you're already planning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So next year I'll be back to Colorado for sure. Okay. Um, you know, I think that, you know, again, without, without the help of guides, I think our, our, you know chances instead of, you know, call it 50% would have, you know, been the typical, I think you hear 10% chance probability. Um, and, you know, so I think with them, they, they were, they were great guides, great piece of land, really cool piece of property. Um, so super fortunate to have them. So I think we'll, we'll definitely be back for that as, as far as anything else. I mean, um, the West certainly has my heart. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I'll be looking into maybe, maybe a couple of things, maybe antelope or, or, uh, you know, mule deer or something like that as well, but, but we'll see.
0: Awesome. Well, you heard it. Uh, Stuart killed a, a nice bull and, uh, his buddy unfortunately did not. So even on guided hunts, it's not guaranteed. Uh, again, thanks for uh, hopping on here, Stuart. I really appreciate it. And, Go to his website, Archery Insights, and he's got a ton of good information on there. His YouTube page, uh, Archery Insights, as well. And, you know, we'll we'll have you on here again uh, maybe next year if you kill another bull, Stuart.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you again for listening to today's episode of the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host, Brad, and today's episode was with Stuart Holmes. Uh, You can find Stuart on Instagram at s.g.holmes. And as always, you can find me at backcountrycardio.com or on my Instagram page at backcountrycardio. Thank you again.